0: The Russian Quarter by Thomas Burke. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson, London, March 2017. I had known the Quarter for many years before it interested me. It was not until I was prowling around on a Fleet Street assignment that I learnt to hate it. A murder had been committed over a café in Lupin Street, a popular murder, fruity, cleverly done, and with a sex interest. Of course, every newspaper and agency developed a virtuous anxiety to track the culprit, and all resources were directed to that end. Journalism is perhaps the only profession "'in which so fine a public spirit may be found. "'So it was that the North Country paper of which I was a hanger-on "'flung every available man into the fighting line. "'And the editor told me that I might, "'in place of the casual paragraphs for the London letter, "'do something good on the Vassiloff murder. "'It was a night of cold rain, "'and the pavements were dashed with smears of light from the shop windows.' "'Through the streaming streets my hansom leapt, "'and as I looked from the window "'and noted the despondent biliousness of Bethnal Green, "'I realised that the grass withereth, the flower fadeth. "'I dismissed the cab at Brick Lane, "'and continuing the tradition which had been instilled into me "'by my predecessor on the London letter, "'I turned into one of the hostelries "'and had a vodka to keep the cold out.' little russia was shutting up the old shawled women who sit at every corner with huge baskets of black bread and sweet cakes were departing beneath umbrellas the stalls of osborne street usually dressed with foreign looking confectionery were also retiring indeed everybody seemed to be slinking away and as i sipped my vodka and felt it burn me with a raw fire i cursed news editors and all publics which desired to read about murders i was perfectly sure that i shouldn't do the least good so i had another and gazed through the kaleidoscopic window rushing with rain at the cheerful world that held me oh so sad it is this quarter by day the streets are a depression with their frowsy doss-houses and their vapour baths grey and sickly is the light grey and sickly too are the leering shops and grey and sickly are the people and the children everything has followed the grass and the flowers childhood has no place so above the roofs you may see the surly points of a council school such games as happen are played but listlessly and each little face is smirched the gaunt warehouses hardly support their loping heads and the low beetling garbled houses of the alleys seem for ever to brood on nights of bitter adventure fit objects for contempt by day they may be but when night creeps upon london the hideous darkness that can almost be touched then their faces become very powers of terror and the cautious soul wandering from the comfort of the main streets walks and walks in a frenzy, seeking outlet and finding none. Sometimes a hoarse laugh will break sharp on his ear. Then he runs. Well, I finished my second and then sauntered out. As I was passing a cruel-looking passage, a girl stepped forward. She looked at me, I looked at her. She had the haunting melancholy of Russia in her face, but her voice was as the voice of cocaine. "'for she spoke and said, "'Funny-looking little guy, ain't you?' "'I suppose I was, so I smiled and said, "'We are as God made us, old girl.' "'She giggled. "'I said I felt I should do no good on the Vassilov murder. "'I didn't, for just then two of her friends came out of the court, "'each with a boy. "'It was apparent that she had no boy.' I had no idea what the occasion might be, but the other four marched ahead, crying, "'Come on!' and, surprised, yet knowing of no good reason for being surprised, I felt the girl's arm slip into mine, and we joined the main column. "'That is one of London's greatest charms. It is always ready to toss you little encounters of this sort, if you are out for them.' Across the road we went, through the mire and puddle, and down a long, winding court. At about midway our friends disappeared, and, suddenly drawn to the right, I was pushed from behind up a steep, fusty stair. Then I knew where we were going. We were going to the tenements where most of the Russians meet of an evening. The atmosphere in these places is a little more cheerful than that of the cafes, if you can imagine a Russian ever rising to cheerfulness most of the girls lodge over the milliner's shops and thither their friends resort every establishment here has a piano for music with them is a sombre passion rather than a diversion you will not hear comic opera but if you want to climb the lost heights of melody stand in bell yard and listen to a piano lost in the high glooms wailing the heart of chopin or Rubenstein or Glazunov, through the fingers of pale, moist girls, while the ghost of Peter the painter parades the naphthade-thighways. At the top of the stair I was pushed into a dark, fusty room, and guided to a low, fusty sofa or bed. Then someone struck a match, and a lamp was lit and set on the mantelshelf it flung a soft caressing radiance on its shabby home and on its mistress and on the other girls and boys the boys were tough youngsters of the district evidently very much at home smoking russian cigarettes and settling themselves on the bed in a manner that seemed curiously continental in cockney tufts i doubt if you would have loved the girls at that moment and yet you know their black or brassy hair their untidiness and the cotton blouse half dropped from their tumultuous breasts the girl who had collared me disappeared for a moment and then brought a tray of Russian tea help selves boys we did so and watching the others I discovered that it was the correct thing to lemon the ladies tea for them and stir it well and light their cigarettes I did so for Katerina that was her name while she watched me with little truant locks of hair running everywhere, and a slow, alluring smile that seemed to hold all the agony and mystery of the steps. The room, on which the wallpaper hung in dank strips, contained a full-sized bed in a chair bedstead, a washstand, a samovar, a potpourri of a carpet, and certain mysteries of feminine toilet. A rickety three-legged table stood by the window, and Caterina's robes hung in a dainty riot of frill and colour behind the door, which only shut when you thrust a peg of wood through a wired catch. One of the boys sprawled himself in clumsy luxury on the bed, and his girl arranged herself at his side, and when she was settled her hair tumbled in a shower of hairpins, and everybody laughed like children. The other girl went to the piano and her boy squatted on the floor at her feet. She began to play. You would not understand, I suppose, the intellectual emotion of the situation. It is more than curious to sit in these rooms, in the filthiest spot in London, and listen to Mazowski, Tchaikovsky and Sibelius, played by a factory girl. It is something indefinable. I had visited similar places in Stepney before, but then I had not had a couple of vodkas, and I had not been taken in tow by an unknown girl. They play and play while tea and cigarettes and sometimes vodka or whiskey go round, and as the room gets warmer, so does one's sense of smell get sharper, so do the pale faces get moister, and so does one long more and more for a breath of cold air from the Ural Mountains. The best you can do is to ascend to the flat roof and take a deep breath of spitter-filled ozone, then back to the room for more tea and more music. Sanya played, despite the unventilated room, the greasy appointments and other details that would have turned the stomach of Kensington. That girl at the piano, her dress cunningly disarranged, playing as no one would have dreamed she could play the finer intensities of Viennowski and Mussorgsky, shook all sense of responsibility from me. The burdens of life vanished. News editors and their assignments be damned. Enjoy yourself, was what the cold, insidious music said. Take your moments when the fates send them. That was life's best lesson. Snatch the joy of the fleeting moment. Why ponder on time and tears? devilish little fingers they were Sonya's. her technique was not perhaps all that it might have been she might not have won the gold medal of our white-shirted academies but she had enough temperament to make half a dozen Bechstein hall virtuosi from valse to nocturne from sonata to prelude her fancy ran with crashing chords she dropped from l'autom bacchanale to the nocturne in e flat scarcely murmured of that then tripped elvishly into Mazovsky's waltz, and from that she dropped to a song of Tchaikovsky almost heartbreaking in its childish beauty, and then to the lecherous music of the second act of Tristan. Mazurka, Polonaise and Nocturne wailed in the stuffy chamber. Her little hands lit up the enchanted gloom of the place with bright thrills, until the bed and the dingy surroundings faded into phantoms and left only two stark souls in colloquy katerina's and mine katerina had settled i forgot how on the sofa and was reclining very comfortably with her head on my shoulder and both arms about me we did not talk no question passed as to why we had picked one another up there we were warmed with vodka and tea at eleven o'clock at night five stories above the clamorous world while her friend shook the silly souls out of us with the shy boldness of my native country i stretched a hand and enclosed her fingers she smiled a curious smile that no other girl in london could have given not a flush smile or a startled smile or a satisfied smile or a coy smile but a smile of companionship which seemed to have realized the tragedy of our living so it was that she had by slow stages reached her comfortable position For as my hand wandered from finger to wrist, from wrist to soft, rounded arm, and so enclosed her neck, she slipped and buried me in an avalanche of flaming, scented tresses. Sonia at the piano shot a glance over her shoulder, a very sad, gay glance. She laughed curiously. I almost said, foreignly. I felt somehow as though I had been taken complete possession of by these people. I hardly belonged to myself. Fleet Street was but a street of dream. I seemed now to be awake and in an adorable captivity. With a final volley of chords, the pianist slid from the chair and sat by her boy on the carpet, smoothing his face with tobacco-stained fingers and languishing— while her thick, over lips took his kisses as a baby bird takes food from its mother. We talked, all of us, in jerks and snatches. Then the oil in the lamp began to give out, and the room grew dim. Someone said, play something, and someone said, too tired. The girl reclining on the bed grew snappy. She did not lean for caresses. She seemed morose, preoccupied, almost impatient. Twice she snapped up her boy on a casual remark. I believe I talked vodka nonsense. But suddenly there came a whisper of soft feet on the landing and a secret tap at the door. Someone opened it and slipped out. One heard the lazy hum of voices in busy conversation. Then silence, and someone entered the room and shut the door. One of the boys asked casually, what's up his question was not answered but the girl who had gone to the door snapped something in a sharp tone which might have been either russian or yiddish katerina loosened herself from me and sat up the girl on the bed sat up the three of them spat angry phrases about i called over to one of the boys what's the joke anything wrong and received the polite, how should i know I ain't a ruddy Russian, am I? Katerina suddenly drew back her flaming face. Here, she said, you'd better go. Go? Yes, fathead, go's what I said. But, I began, looking and feeling like a flabbergasted cat, don't I speak plain, go. I suppose a man never feels a finer idiot than when a woman tells him she doesn't want him. If he ever does, it is when a woman tells him that she loves him. Katerina had given me the bullet, and, of course, I felt a fool, but I derived some consolation from the fact that the other boys were being told off. Clearly, big things were in the air, about to happen. Something, evidently, had already happened. I wondered. Then I sat down on the sofa and flatly told Katerina that I was not going unless I had a reason oh she said blithely ain't you this is my room ain't it i brought you here and you stay here just as long as i choose and no longer who do you think you are saying you won't go this is my room i let you come here for a drink and you just got to go when i say see i was about to make a second stand when again there came a stealthy tap at the door and the whispering of slippered feet, Sonya glided to the door, opened it, and disappeared. In a moment she came back and called Rena. Katerina slipped from my embrace, went to the door, and disappeared too. One girl and three boys remained in silence. Next moment Katerina reappeared and said something to Sonya. Sonya pulled her boy by the arm and went out. The other girl pushed the boy at the neck and literally threw him out. Katerina came over to me and said, "'Go, little fool!' I said, "'Sha'n't unless I know what the game is.' She stood over me, glared, searched for words to meet the occasion, found none. She gestured, "'I sat as rigid as an immobile comedian.' Finally she flung her arms and swept away. At the door she turned, "'Blasted little fool!' he'll do us both in if you ain't careful you don't know him both of us he'll have Serve ye right she disappeared i was alone i heard the sup sup of her slippered feet down the stair i got up and moved to the door i heard nothing i stood by the window my thoughts dancing a ragtime i wondered what to do and how and whether i wonder what was up exactly i wondered well i just wondered my thoughts got into a tangle sank and swam and sank again then there was a struggle and a spurt from the lamp and it went black out from a room across the landing a clock ticked menacingly i saw by the thin light from the window the smoke of a discarded cigarette curling up and up to the ceiling like a snake i went again to the door peering down the steep stair and over the crazy balustrade nobody was about no voices I slipped swiftly down the five flights, met nobody. I stood in the slobbered vestibule. From afar I heard the sluck of the waters against the staples of the walls and the wicked hoot of the tugs. It was then that a sudden nameless fear seized me. It was that simple terror that comes from nothing but ourselves. I am not usually afraid of any man or thing. I am normally nervous, and there are three or four things that have power to terrify me. But I am not, I think, afraid. But at that moment, however, I was afraid of everything, of the room I had left, of the house, of the people, of the inviting lights of the warehouses and the threatening shoals of the alleys. I stood a moment longer, then I raced into Brick Lane and out into the brilliance of Commercial Street. End of the Russian Quarter by Thomas Burke.